0: Losing a loved one to suicide can cause unimaginable grief. Dealing with your own suicidal ideation and depression after the fact is even harder. In this episode, Jennifer Ma shares her experience of losing a loved one to suicide and how it affected her own mental health. She shares vulnerable moments about dealing with suicide, mental health issues, as well as financial struggles. Learn how she dealt with all of it and where she's at now and how she's pursuing financial independence. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy. And I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen i want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests i'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional so content should not be considered professional medical or financial advice as a trigger warning please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide so if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today on the show, I have a very special guest, someone from the personal finance community that a lot of people may know, and that is Jennifer Ma. Jennifer Ma is the community manager for Choose Fi, as well as a financial coach, freelancer, and content manager. She has an amazing story to tell, and I'm so excited that she's here. Thanks for being on the show, Jennifer.
1: Well, Melanie, thank you for inviting me. And now I feel like I have standards to live up to. Amazing story (laughs) to tell. The pressure is on.
0: No, you do. I think you have like so much to share and you're so open and so vulnerable. And I think that sharing your personal story, both with mental health and money can help a lot of people. And so, you know, I want to kind of just dive right in and, you know, talk about what has been your experience with mental health. I know that you experienced it at a rather young age. And it seems that you might not have even had the vocabulary at that time for what that was. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience.
1: Um, yeah, I grew up, uh, what I would say in a, um, really trying, I had really trying experiences from a young age. So I was physically and emotionally abused and sexually abused. And then fast forward a few years, and then my sister committed suicide. And throughout all these things, when I was she committed suicide when I was 12. Um she was 19 and um through all of those incidents I always thought this is just the burden I have to take and that I just have to grit my teeth and strong arm myself through this. I am strong and I'm going to get through it and just grit my teeth and bear it. And it wasn't until uh when my sister committed suicide it was um devastating and specifically I kept using coping skills that I had created as a young child that helped me from situation to situation manage pain, grief, anger,
0: okay. um,
1: until there came a breaking point. Yeah, And that breaking point happened to be about 16 and I was in high school and uh, maybe 17, somewhere around there. But I do know that um, it came because I realized that I was never okay with hurting anyone else, but it was okay to hurt myself. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. I would never want to hurt anyone else. And at that particular time, I realized that um, whatever was being bottled up inside me needed a better outlet. Because at some point in time, I was afraid I was going to inadvertently hurt someone else. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so then I happened to mention that I really need to seek counseling. And uh, up until then, and I would say that the counseling was okay. And when they offered medication, I said, hell no.
0: Like, no and way. Was,
1: yeah. No way, no way, no way. I don't want anything messing with my brain. It's already messed up anyway. I only have two brain cells that work, and I want to keep them revving, so let's not do <laughs> yeah. that. And, um, and I was a little bit worried about biochemical interference, and I understand the the science behind it at the time. And the language was that you're, you're, it's a biochemical deficiency. You take this pill and it'll be better. I'm like, how do I know that that's all that's going to do? Because I want me to be authentically me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so I really tried to muscle through not doing any of that. And, um, then I had an unfortunate incident in college and that caused additional stress. And I wound up Seeking counseling again, and I did go on medication and SSRI, and that did help. And then I weaned myself off <laughs> because, you know, I think I know all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when I was divorced, I realized that I was going through a lot of other trauma. So I was uh, disabled going through uh, work comp and surgery and recovery and the marriage dissolved and I was unemployed and scared financially and there's so many stressors so instead of seeking counseling <laughs> I just told my primary care physician, "Hey, you know, could you please help me out?" Mm-hmm. And he did. And I because I'm smart and I read and I'm like these are the things and and I told him what was going on for me. And so he put me on uh, an antidepressant and I think that really helped me through that transition from divorce again, and then of course, money. There's lots of things that are all wrapped up. And but really, in terms of my mental health journey, I'd like to think that I'm evolving. Like I started off thinking that I have to be all alone in through this journey, and that it's my journey. And I have to be private about it because one of the things are, in case no one knows, I am Asian American. I'm Chinese American specifically. And when I was growing up, I was told that the only emotion you could have that was valid was happiness. The only thing you could show the world was happiness, which meant that you swallowed a lot. I swallowed a lot of pain. I swallowed a lot of anger. And even if I were hurt by somebody, I could not be angry with them because that was just not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I would say that um, my mental health journey is evolving. I'd like to think that I'm in a better space now because I have more tools to help me through rough spots. And I would also say that for those of you who are still strong arming yourself and just lurking and listening to this podcast and reading things online, there is an amazing amount of strength in being able to ask for help and that is still very much a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Pardon me.
0: Don't worry about it. I know it's so hard to speak up. And... I
1: told myself I wasn't going to
0: cry. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's <laughs> okay. Uh, crying is a natural emotion and you know there's lots of endorphins that are released when you cry so actually it's your eyeballs way of releasing hormones and releasing happy chemicals and actually I think you're doing a disservice to yourself by not crying I mean it's a way that your body is processing all of your emotions and you just shared in a matter of minutes this very intense conversation you know, um, history. No, don't be sorry. I'm just saying that you are so <laughs> strong. No, no, no. I don't mean that in a bad way. Trust me, I get called intense all the time, and I know that I'm intense. And I take that as a compliment in a way because I think it's boring. passionate. Yeah, you're not boring. You're yeah, passionate. you're yeah. intense. You're impassionate. And I mean that to say that you've shared so much and you've gone through so much. And I just want you to like stop for a second and realize how strong you are and like how many things that you have been through. And I'm sure with every single experience, you're like, oh, this again. Oh my gosh, this again. But like you said, every time you increase the tools in the toolbox, every time you realized a little bit earlier, you know what? I need to go back to my doctor. I'm feeling this way again. And that's so much better than so many people who are constantly burying their emotions forever, who wait until the very last minute when it's a crisis. And, you know, they do end up hurting themselves or someone else. And so you are brave and amazing and vulnerable, and you're here. And we are so grateful that you are still here. Thank you. And I just want you to share that, and you should not feel any shame
1: at all. I don't feel ashamed, but I it feels like i should be able to dispassionately and clinically explain the journey without getting emotionally vested like put myself third party outside mm-hmm. of that life because in some ways when i look back at who i was as a child and the circumstances in which i grew up it's almost like it's a different person completely but each of these things have have built a foundation right or wrong good or bad it's built a foundation And has impacted the way I view the world or myself or my place in the world. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And it has been a a privilege. And I have been lucky that I have been able to find resources or to be even able to embark on introspection and self-growth and personal growth. And I appreciate that because I grew up poor. And if we hadn't had, um, Medi-Cal was the program in California I don't know if it is anymore, because I sort of am lucky enough that I'm not having to pay attention to that right now. But Medi-Cal should be still the program here. And that actually provided some health services and things like that, that pushed me along the way. So what I want to make sure people know is that part of the evolution in, in my mental health journey is that it's coming to grips with the idea that, there is strength in being vulnerable and there's strength in identifying the times when you do need help. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of energy though. So for those of you who are listening to this podcast that are not suffering through a mental health episode or have any conditions that are chronic and ongoing that you're managing, but you have friends. Um, While well, we always tell people, Hey, can you reach out to us if you need anything? Maybe the better option would be to have you call and suggest, hey, it's a really rough time. Here's what I'd like to do for you or be with you now, if that's okay with you, in terms of support. Because the burden, and I hate to say burden, because it is a gift when anyone gives you time, energy, and space. Yeah. But I don't want to say burden, but there is an emotional labor and burden that the person you're trying to help may not be able to to meet. Even if they're drowning, they can't raise that hand. So um, so that was my public service announcement. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for the PSA. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, you know, I know you mentioned in your story that you are Asian American and, you know, in your community, there's this idea that you have to be strong. You know, we are recording this in July, which is Minority Mental Health Month. And I wanted to talk to you specifically about what are the barriers for access or the cultural barriers in the Asian community that are preventing people from getting help. I know I've spoken to a few people about what are the barriers in the African American community and the Latino community. And so I'm curious from your point of view, what, what are those
1: barriers? Well, I think a lot of it is still societal um, stigma, you know, think of the broader us and all of our glory and um, think about the general you know we have to destigmatize mental health and mental health services and when we look at public policy and i'm by the way i am not a publicly pol- public policy expert but when we look at public policies in various states how accessible are we our mental health services how much funding is there and so one of the things that i think is uh, done a disservice in the asian american communities is that uh, for years I would say decades when people thought Asian Americans and they thought, "Oh, this population—they are the model minority." And I'm putting that in air quotes. People,
0: mm-hmm. air, air quotes. quotes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of baggage attached to that, and that's a whole different topic that we can go into. But <laughs> when we but when we look at policies and we look at funding and we look at accessibility, those are big things. But when we look at the Asian immunity community, uh, if you look at first generation or immigrants that are recent, chances are they're not going to really trust those services. They don't even know those services exist. And then if you're growing up, if you grew up with the same type of idea that these things are private and you must have good face out in public, no matter how poor, no matter how hurt, if you're bleeding out, you must, oh, it's only a flesh wound as your arms. You know, I don't know if you're a Monty Python fan, but, but uh, you know, but, um, but there's, uh, when I was growing up, that seemed to be very much the case that these things are meant to be private and never to be brought into the light of day. So thank you so much for your podcast, because I think that two topics need to be destigmatized and spoken about openly actually money more, but we'll start with these two mental health and money. Right. And then the other is of course, race, uh, sexism. It's, it's everything else. That's part of a difficult conversation, but until we, we make time and space for them and have flawed and imperfect conversations about them, because I don't want anyone to get stuck on, on whether it's perfect or not, because I get stuck on whether it's perfect. That's my job. Your job is to just (laughs) make sure. Um, then uh, we won't be able to, to redirect our attention, look at it as a, as a health crisis more so, right? So one of the other things is that, um, so model Asian Americans, well, you know, there's a stigma that, or maybe it's not a stigma, but there's this thought that Asian Americans have transitioned here very well. They make lots of great money. They've assimilated that word yeah. uh assimilated a well into society and blah 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 everyone should follow this thing well the truth is there's only a few racial groups ethnic groups that or pardon me ethnic groups that have done a, a fairly di- uh, good transition right there are still asian uh populations that are living at poverty or below or having a hard time and, and we do a disservice using the model minority thing but anyway what i was going to say is that i would say that minority mental health the issues are getting those services accessible. Is there transportation for these people to get to those services? Is there state funding for free services or sliding scale? How do they, how do people find out about them if their own community is so closed? So representation within mental health services is also important. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah.
0: Are the services even advertised in a, in another language?
1: Absolutely. And how, how many people can speak multiple languages? And, um, You know, Google Translate's flawed. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I use that all the time. um, Yeah, Yeah. so there are lots of things that I think um, need to be highlighted. So mental health, I think, is one of those things that we need to talk more about. And if there are people out there who are looking for careers, I have a slew of them that I would love for people to tackle. (laughs) (laughs) You know, cybersecurity is one. Could you please become a cybersecurity engineer, uh, professional, whatever. And then could you also, you know, go into mental health and wellness and for your local communities? Because I think representation matters across all spectrum, but let's make this accessible, you know.
0: Yeah, I think you hit on some really important points. definitely think access is super important. And I think for a lot of people who might be in the middle class, don't necessarily realize the barriers. Like, yeah, you need transportation to go to um, counseling. You might need childcare. You need a sliding scale. You need it translated in a different language. And
1: I will yeah and, uh, well you could use health insurance too right yeah. and and yeah. it's amazing the different types of health insurance programs that are available and what they will cover in terms of health and wellness so one of the things i'm going to mention for people who are employed see if your employer has an EAP program and that's an employee assistance program that usually allows some free counseling either in person or telephonically. And through the telephone, sometimes it's unlimited and sometimes those services, depending on your employer will actually be expanded to cover everyone in your household.
0: Oh, that's so great.
1: Yeah. When I was an HR manager and constructed the HR uh, plan for my and benefits plan for my company, that was one of the things that I loved. It wasn't just for your family members because everyone in your household will have an impact on your health and wellness, right? Definitely. And it was anonymous. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, but anyway, so that's it for my, my other PSA. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah, I think that's so important to mention. And I love what you're doing to break the stigma about seeking help and getting help in the Asian American community. And I think everyone should have the ability to access these life-saving services and, you know, there should be no shame and there should be more accessibility in regards to transportation, childcare, different languages, Um, you know, making it clear what health insurance covers and what it does not and make sure that people even know that an EAP exists. A lot of people don't even know that some of these things exist and it's because they're all hidden in bureaucracy and red tape and, you know, we're all just trying to survive and we can't necessarily dig through all of these things. And, and that's another barrier as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so if only things could be streamlined, you know, and, and simplified for everyone, but definitely thank you for the opportunity to encourage people to make career transitions <laughs> yeah. to support mental health services in their local community. And so, uh, and of course, you know, I support, um, the American foundation for the prevention of suicide uh, for lots of reasons. One is that my sister killed herself when I was 12 and she was 19. And that is a life that will, that is a life purpose energy and a soul that will not be able to contribute to this world.
0: Yeah. It's a devastating loss that, you know, we can't get back and I know we connected about this before, but my grandfather died by suicide as well and it's like that is a branch of my family tree that has been cut off that I've never met. I only know of him through stories and for you, you know, you have this very limited timeline of when you knew this person and the impact of your life and then you're carrying that incredible loss and that kind of brings me to my next question actually is that I know this has had a devastating impact on your life there's no way it cannot suicide has sweeping implications for many people and I know because I have been suicidal and other people have as well you hear this a lot people think oh I'm better off dead You know, people will be happier with people will, will be happier without me. That is absolutely not true. This is a devastating loss for family. I don't know anyone's family that has ever thought like, Oh yeah, that's great. No, it's absolutely not. It's a, it's a huge devastating loss. And so what would you tell someone if they're thinking of suicide? And also what would you tell family members who are struggling with the loss of a
1: loved one from suicide? So, for those of you who are struggling with suicide ideation, if you will, and all, and and don't get me wrong, I have also uh, gone down that route as well. I would um, ask that you make a commitment, even if it's just for an hour. And suicide is an option. I'm not going to tell you that it's not an option to end pain. And only you know your pain. And I would say that it's like, Could you make a pact to not do it today? Could you just make a choice today to try something different, to seek another resource, to make that horribly vulnerable call to a friend? Use the texting service that's set up. What is it? 741-741? Yep. Yes. Uh, Get online. Because here's the thing. The pain that you're suffering now may seem like it's always ongoing. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it always gets better and never comes back because I find that grief, pain, all of those things are cyclical. Like I would have told you several years ago, my sister's death, you know, I've got it behind me. It's I've recovered. I miss her very much, but that's not quite true. Every now and then the pain comes back and it's even worse because mm-hmm. you realize what you've missed. Um, and not to guilt the person who is, who's in so much pain that suicide is a real, uh, a real solution for them in their mind. But the way I always looked at it is that I never wanted to harm anyone else. And there is a great deal of harm that you may cause your friends and family if you choose it. And I'm not trying to yeah. guilt you. Definitely not trying to guilt you. But I also try to recognize that my brain is lying to me. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Your brain is playing tricks on you. It's got, it's just got uh, primordial impulses that are baked in, and sometimes we get stuck in a little bit of a loop. And those, those signals aren't actually valid. So, could you make one attempt, a couple of attempts, reach out, whether it's a text, whether it's one of the services, tell someone in your life that that you're going through something hard. I have a pact with a couple of my friends that if I ever go really silent and they don't see me online and I don't respond to a text from them, then I'm in a bad place. If you can find just a small cohort that can help you and and that's what, and then there are free services. And I know that there's a lot of, it takes a lot of energy to find those free services, but there is help. So please, please, please. If you are thinking of committing suicide, Please stop for a moment. See if and make make that commitment on an hourly basis as you seek out some support and help in your life. Please don't stifle it because I think one of the things I did that did, was a disservice to myself was that for many years I didn't want to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. You just kind of retreated inside and stuff it all down. And stuff it all down. And I think so many people do that. And like you said earlier, like people feel like it has to be their burden alone to carry and that, you know, you just have to be strong. And that's something that I'm hearing again and again in all of these interviews on mental health and well. is that people have this experience. And it's like, hmm, if we're all having this experience, and it's not working out, maybe this is the wrong thing. Maybe, you know, now is the time to shift the tides so that we realize we don't have to carry this alone. This isn't normal and natural to carry so much grief and trauma on top of living day to day. Day to day life is already hard enough, minus all the, you know, grief and trauma we deal with in our respective lives in different situations.
1: Yes. And I think there's something to be said about, I, I don't really like the comment about misery loves company. Mm -hmm. because that's not what, what works for me. What works for me is community. It's connection with other people. Mm -hmm. And I would say I'm an ambivert. I'm not a true extrovert and I'm not a true introvert. I'm a little hybrid of both. Yeah. And so, um, when I talk about joining a group, it is, I'll, I'm not usually a joiner. Yeah. And I know you'll laugh because that's how you know me as a joiner, right? I'm not <laughs> yeah. usually a joiner. I'm more like W.C. Fields, right? Which is, I, I think it was W.C. Fields or maybe it was Groucho Marx who said, why would I ever want to join a club that would have me as a member? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so, uh, yeah, I'm not really a joiner, but I'm going to tell you there's something joyful about being in a community of like-minded people, whether it's on your financial independence journey, your debt payoff journey, or Your mental health and wellness, or suicide and grief and the impact of family, there is something powerful to know that you're not alone. So, uh, don't do what Jen did.
0: Yes, seek help, reach out, (laughs) be a joiner. Connection. I think connection is so important. I think connection is really what can help us get out of suicidal ideation and through despair. Is you know reaching out and. When you're in that place, it can be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's so worth it and so important. Once again, for anyone listening, you can text home to 741-741 and you can binge this podcast and you can reach out to me at gmail.com if you would like as
1: well. You can reach out to me too.
0: Yes. Yes. You are not alone. And people do care about your life and your story. And I know I hear from a lot of people who say, no one cares if I live or die. No one cares about me. And I'm here to tell you that's wrong. I care about you. I've never met you, but I care about you. And yeah. I think that it's really important that you continue and that you can seek help. and. I love that you talk about kind of, you know, finding your community, whatever respective journey you're on. And that kind of brings me to my next question, which is about the money aspect. You know, this is the mental health and wealth show. And so I know that you were dealing with debt. You're also interested in FI, which is financial independence for people that aren't familiar. Tell me like how your debt story um, started and how it affected your mental health and then kind of how it transitioned into your interest into financial independence.
1: Okay, so I grew up thinking that it's really normal to have debt. I'm sure a lot of people do. A lot could. of people do, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, everyone has debt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody does it. Let's just do what everyone else does because that's... I
0: don't have student loans. I mean...
1: Yeah, you're normal. It's
0: how you survive. Right. A car.
1: Well, and I grew up on uh, welfare, and so it was always... I always thought I would, would have made it if I had... A car loan and a mortgage. Does that sound incredible debt? <laughs> it's because it's like, oh well, you know, all these other people, that's what seems to be normal. That's the normal. That's what the American dream that is. a credit card, a right. mortgage, car
0: loan, I have made it to middle class. Woo yes. in
1: debt. Yes. And so uh middle class only on the outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh so what happened was uh I had a little bit of debt. And I think there's something about growing up in a, in poverty where you cycle bef- between scarcity mindset and like, I deserve it. Mm-hmm. And I deserve it. And then so you start racking up a little credit card debt or whatever. But the big impact was when I was on disability and my marriage was dissolving. We had credit card debt. And actually, let me back that up. A few years before that, I was uh, the primary breadwinner in my relationship. And we were constantly getting into further debt because my ex-husband was going through school. And when he chose to leave the military and told me he wanted to go to school, I said, great, I think I can support us, but we're going to have to cut all these other things out and try to do this. We never made an adjustment to cutting things out of our budget. Oh, yeah. So the lifestyle never changed based on the income coming in, right? So we went mm-hmm. from a dual income household to a single income household. And so so the credit card debt continue to rise. And at one point I just gave up and I said, here's all the money stuff. You make it work. All I can do is get a job and just continue to work. And I want everyone to know that I had offered all sorts of things. Like he had offered when he left the military to take a job at like Starbucks or a fast food joint. And I'm like, that would have actually gotten us over the hump Mm -hmm. that little bit. And he refused to do that. And then he... (laughs) It was really heartbreaking, and I'm like, I don't understand why this is so difficult. You said you would, and then I said, is it the resume? Just put everything you've ever done in the military, and I'll translate it for you, and I'll help you find a a job that's part-time and everything. This will just get us over the the hump while you're finishing off and eventually doing what you really want to do. There was resistance on that part, and then I probably wound up uh, being too assertive or – Someone actually accused me of being over-functioning and maybe that was an issue, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that was a problem being being over-functioning, so I should probably do a deep dive on that. But then the next thing I said was, why not do scholarships? Here's a whole slew of scholarships that you could apply for. I'll read your essays and I'll help you apply for them. And that was a big fat no. And then after that, I said, here are some loan documents. I will co-sign a loan for your schooling with you. And uh, we'll use that because I had faith. Yeah. So luckily for me, he did nothing about that either. So uh, that was the biggest blessing. Yeah. Uh, is that he did not take me up on my offer to take out student loans and co-sign them in his name. That's great. Which was fabulous. Yes. <laughs> but then at some point I, I got laid off and I was dealing with uh, bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome and I wound up getting surgery on both hands. Not simultaneously, even though I told my doctor, I need you to operate on both hands simultaneously so that I can go back to work ASAP. He's like, no, we do one hand at a time. You'll be out of, out of work for a few years. Oh I'm my like, goodness. are you kidding me? Oh gosh. And, uh, and so all of a sudden the, the reversal happened and he left school and got a job right away <laughs> and, uh, and all sorts of crazy stuff. And so, uh, then the marriage ended and at that time I wasn't working. And by the way, the credit card debt had bloomed. I wasn't working, the marriage ended, and I decided I really wanted to keep my house. So we negotiated a little bit and I wound up keeping the house and I wound up getting the credit card debt. And then after after that, I, uh, and I had actually talked to my doctor about getting me off of disability and letting me, releasing me from disability and letting me go get a job. So I got a job when it was obvious that the marriage was ending. And so uh, that job I was laid off there and I decided instead of going back to W2 employment that I would go ahead and become a freelancer and consultant. And I set up my first shingle then. And the work was great for the first year. First year was great. The second year I was depressed, overwhelmed, work started drying up. And, and that first year of work was like all my projects came at the same time
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the same deadlines. And then there was nothing.
0: Oh yeah. The feast or famine cycle. Woo.
1: Yes. And goodness knows. And of course I never built in any time to market. Right. So things that I've learned recently, like if you're going to do the freelance work, you should actually build in every week, a certain amount of time for marketing yourself to seek other contracts and services. Right. Must. Yes, you must. And you're, you're a pro. So, you know, all this, but back then I didn't. And what wound up happening was that, uh, the work dried up and it was not in this kind of space. And I was living off of my credit cards. And then all of a sudden I couldn't make my, I was making minimum payments on my credit cards. I had a great credit score, you know, 800. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the banks loved me. And uh, credit card limits that were like insane, insane. Like you could buy a house on them in the in the wow. Midwest. Like $40,000 <laughs> type of thing, right? I'm like, can you imagine? And so, uh and so what wound up happening is that I, I wound up missing my house payments after a while. And that became a huge burden. And I was scared. I didn't tell anyone because, again, shame. I'm supposed to have all my crap together. So uh, so I lived on my credit cards. And the shit hit the fan. And I didn't make those payments. And next thing I know, I did that thing that I, I want other people not to do. think that you still have to muscle through it. I thought I had to muscle through all the other stuff by myself. But when it came down to finances and the consultancy, I was like, I'm smart. I should be able to figure this out. And the work and business has an impact on your health and wellness, as well as your money factor. And all of this is intertwined so crazily, right? You can't really separate the two. And so as a result of my failures and business, I wound up getting more and more depressed. And which made it even more difficult to go out and reach for contracts. Because what do you have to do when you're trying to go out and get a contract or a
0: sell yourself and be happy and be like, "Hey, here's what I can do." And you're yes, depressed, you're depressed because you don't have work, which you know you, you leads you to more depression. And then when you're depressed, you can't really get in the mindset or the personality to be marketing yourself, or even have the motivation, or even have the energy. And then it's just a cycle that continues.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had this bout, but getting out of bed and showering oh yeah, was like an incredible success,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, or brushing your teeth or any amount of self care. And there were times I would say throughout my life that I thought the world would be a very much better place without me. So what wound up happening is that I was suicidal at that point I, because I felt like I was going to be, I was a loser. I was not successful. I couldn't take care of myself. What the hell was wrong with me? And I don't, you know, I wasn't very kind to myself either. I look back at the the self-talk and I think, would I have ever talked to a friend like this? No, never in my mind, never in my life would I've ever said anything like that to a friend.
0: Yeah. Then why would you say that to yourself? You know, you have to be your own best friend and it sounds so cheesy and trite, but I mean, we are our longest relationship,
1: so we
0: have to love ourselves because we are our longest relationship, and so we've got to cultivate that self-love, that self-kindness, that self-care, that compassion.
1: Yes, compassion for yourself, empathy for yourself, and if it means referring to yourself as a third person or sitting yourself down and talking into the mirror and saying, hey, Hey friend, how are you doing? I'm okay with that. Whatever works for you. But I think about the fact that I treat all of my friends and family better than I treat myself. Yeah. And with much more love and consideration. So, so I came to a reckoning at one point, and I decided that I couldn't duck all the bills. I couldn't avoid all the collector phone calls. Can I tell you how much stress it was to get the mail oh, or yeah. to look at the phone and go, "Oh my God, who's calling now?" But again and again. Yeah. And they're they're hounding yeah. you yeah. too. A lot of them are unethical. Absolutely, which is one of the reasons why I learned a lot about debt and debt management, and uh, just for my own sake, and then to of course help any friends and family that ever reach out to me with help. I always have lots of just-in-time knowledge. Yeah, uh, I try to I try to save a whole bunch of stuff just in case other people need it because God knows it sometimes takes more energy to go find it on your own. But um, so what wound up happening is that I sucked it up and I basically sold my house as a distressed sale. Luckily for me, I had some equity. I negotiated all the pay down amounts for all my credit cards and tanked my credit score. Mm. And then in addition to all of that, I was really worried that I wasn't going to find a place to live because when all this was happening, I actually asked my family if they would bail me out. Yeah. You know how hard that is? it is so hard to go to your family and say, Hey, I made a mistake. I was stupid. Here's what's going on for me. Here's my get well plan. Could you help me out? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no. It's so tough. And I'm going to say, yes, it was so hard to hear, but I'm also glad that they did what was right for them Mm -hmm. financially. Right. Because I don't know what their circumstances were because from the outside looking in, it looks like they were doing a lot healthier than I was. And probably they were, I mean, based on at least talk sometimes around the dinner table, right? But they probably did the right thing at that point. But then the other thing that happened that really hurt me was I didn't know where I was going to live.
0: That's super stressful.
1: So I had a little bit of money and I knew I was going to have a little bit of cash reserves. And so I asked my family, uh, my extended family, if I could come and live with them for a few months while I try to get my head wrapped around this and figure out what's next and they said no. Mm. And I had offered to pay them rent. I don't want anyone to think I was a freeloader.
0: Yeah, wow, and you offered to pay them rent too.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, um anyway, so that didn't happen. And so I wound up finding a condo in another complex with another set of family that living fairly close by. And for about I'd say a year and a half, I used almost all of those reserves plus a part-time job to get myself through and try to heal to heal from stress and trauma from the feeling that I was a complete loser and that feeling of loss. And it's not just loss about like a house. That's not what I was grieving about. It's the loss of the relationship, the marriage, the the dreams that I had plans I had set that I never allowed myself to grieve. Everything it all snowballs. Absolutely. And the idea that I, that the person I was going to live my life with that had a huge chunk of my who knew me the most wasn't in my life any longer. That was hard too, right? So tough. You know? Um, So I took a year and a half and maybe I, I blew the money or whatever, but it made myself whole take my credit score. (laughs) I was lucky I got an apartment and I was really lucky. They gave me an apartment, even though I had such a bad credit score (laughs) and partly it, it was because I didn't go through a normal apartment complex. I went to a privately held condo and said, here's the circumstances, here's this, and here's my bank statement now. And I think that gave me credibility to go. So for those of you who are trying to build their lives again, you can find a place to live, but I wouldn't go necessarily to to a normal apartment.
0: That's a good tip. And it did hurt your finances and your credit, but... You're here today and like you said you're whole and you're able to help others now and you know I think that's something that I really want to impress on the show is that without your mental health everything else means nothing. Your physical health means nothing if your mental health is tanked. Your money doesn't mean anything if your mental health is tanked. Nothing else functions properly if you are not okay.
1: Yeah, it is absolutely the mindset. It is your it's the thing that shapes everything else around your world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I look at wellness as a um I use a triangle and a Sosceles triangle a lot as an image for myself. Mm. Right. So here's my physical, here's my mental, emotional, and here's my financial wellness. And then all those three, they have to be balanced in order for me to feel centered. You know, I don't know if that's a woo-woo concept for anyone, but yes. Yeah, no, centered. totally. Yeah. And it's not always perfect. Sometimes one gets a little bit longer, you know, one leg of the triangle gets a little bit longer because I'm focusing on physical health and well being. And sometimes I'll, I'll tell you, I also deferred physical health for a long time and focused on financial because that felt like where I was bleeding out. So i um, sorry for the long winded answer.
0: No, I mean, it's important. I think, you know, like you're saying, you have to kind of try to find balance with all of it and take care of your yeah. mental health. And, you know, that brings me to my last question, which is what are the steps that you are taking now to manage your mental and financial health?
1: Oh boy. All right. So my mental and financial health one, I always have the best time ever. <laughs> I've chosen to be a freelancer and a, and a, a business owner now. Woo, are you kidding? In a pandemic. Yes. In a depression. Okay. <laughs> okay so uh, for those of you who may be interested in the financial independence journey. One of the reasons why I'm attracted to that journey is the ability to build up enough reserves and to really analyze how you're spending and using your money in terms of what you value and what your long-term goals are. And that does not mean that you don't take care of your short-term needs either. But um, by doing that, by being on that path and being very focused on conscious spending, I was able to build up enough financial withdrawal to, take a stab at this experiment. Yes, I love it. So yes, and it gave me a baseline to walk away from a job that was toxic, really toxic um, <laughs> to do this and not have a backup plan. It would be the first time ever. And there's a great deal of strength in that. And there, you don't have to hit financial independence and have millions of dollars in the bank account in order to reap some of the benefits of it. Some of the benefits are you can roll with an emergency that pops up If there's a layoff, you've got some money stashed that's just for this purpose. And and that has been powerful in my life. So how am I taking care of my mental and financial health? Well, everything seems to be way more overwhelming right now during the pandemic. And by the time you hear this, hopefully we are over the wave and things are healthier and better for all of us in terms of the economy and our health and well being. But right now I'm keeping myself busy. I mean, having difficulties with focus because one, I tend to like way too many different things. and want to work on everything at once. And that is sure to trip me up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm building my financial coaching business. Nice. Am I perfect? No, but here's the thing. I think I have a lot of tools and experience that can help with compassion, navigate something that can look so overwhelming and so stressful emotionally and get through the other side and set up systems that will help you in your wellness. That's one. Uh, two, I am taking a little bit more time for self care. Good. Despite the fact that I can't do massages, I can't go and get a, you know, I haven't even seen my chiropractor. Right. So, uh, but I'm actually trying to do a little bit more self care and how does that manifesting in my life? That means that I'm actually trying to sleep a little bit more on a regular schedule. Because I usually not, I, I usually don't sleep much.
0: Mm-hmm. Sleep so is I'm trying so to get,
1: wildly important. Had no idea. My mantra used to be, I can sleep when I'm dead.
0: Yeah. Until you realize it has a profound impact on your mental health. And I know like if I have five or six hours of sleep and I'm like a crab apple and like my fuse is so short and I can barely focus and do anything. And I'm a zombie. And the next day I have eight or nine hours of sleep. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm a normal human being. This is what life feels like. This is amazing. And it's just such a huge difference.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's amazing. And for me, having six hours of sleep would be like so amazing. Wow. So I- I'm actually trying. Yes. I was one of those people that tried to cram everything I could in the two into the day as much as possible, and now I am trying to not schedule as many things back to back. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give myself breathing space. I'm working on my meditation practice, which is completely imperfect. Imperfect, you doing it, yeah, yes. But I'm working on that, and I'm working on getting a little sunshine because it's good for my health and well being to be out in the sun uh, with sunscreen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> because. And mask. Yeah. 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 My mask and sunscreen, but just even getting in my car and driving I'd forgotten how much being outside and the wind blowing on my face with all the windows down and music playing that I love and sing to lifts my spirits up. Right. Um, so things that I'm doing to taking care of my mental health, I don't turn on the news right away. Definitely I to- important. Yes. I don't look at email right away. I give myself, and this is, I'm so lucky to be able to be at home right now that I have a home and I've got some financial bandwidth, but I get up, I make myself coffee. I have glasses of water first. I'm trying to eat healthier. I'm trying to be more conscious about what I'm bringing into the home to eat what I'm drinking. I've reduced my coffee consumption. People who know me would laugh because I was a, a pot of coffee was a necessity in the morning in a pot in the afternoon. Now I'm down to 16 ounces. Yeah. 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 Total coffee addict, but I love the taste. Don't hate me. It's so good. Um, but anyway, so I'm drinking more water. I'm eating better. I'm trying to be more cognizant and being more in tune with how my body's feeling. I'm also trying really hard to keep my spirits up. And it's been challenging because I would have told you even last, I would have told you in December if I could retire on top of a mountaintop and have good grocery stores and ethnic grocery stores and some really awesome restaurants nearby, and Amazon delivered, bookstores delivered, high-speed internet access, I could live on that mountaintop by myself all the time. Yeah, I'd be fine. I'm a big fat liar. <laughs> I was mistaken. That's that not true. I miss hugs. I know, me too. I miss hugs, I, and massages I miss so bad. Hugs, massages. In person, maskless conversation, the warmth of someone's hand on my shoulder or patting me on the back, just to say hello. So, Melanie, when we meet in person, do not be surprised if I do a koala hug. I will not. <laughs> <Where we> just- <laughs> okay. and it won't. I promise not to be gross. I will ask your permission first because I do believe in consent and touching yes, people's personal space. But uh, but I just wanted you to know that that has been the most challenging aspect of keeping my mental health and well being is, is that physical connection and touch. So for those singletons who are sheltering in place, which I'm one and you don't have roommates and you don't have a furry creature. I wish my allergy shots had actually worked so that I could have a dog or a cat. It would trigger asthma issues for me. So that's a no, I would say cuddle your dogs, cuddle your cats, go foster if you can. And, uh, Help each other out that way. And then for those of you who are who are sheltering in place by yourself, find your community and build your community. I am grateful that I live in a little neighborhood where I have a strong community. I have neighbors where I've organized a couple of social distance, masked six feet away. Bring your own everything happy hours in our cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. There's no touching. We just yell at each other. (laughs) But to be able to have that interaction has been really nice. If you can also find another family, like your next door neighbor to shelter in place with, that's actually really great. And by the time this airs, maybe we don't have these measures any longer. So other things, sleep, eat healthy, get out and get some sunshine, stay connected with your friends and family, even if it's by text or call, set up protocols to make sure that if you disappear offline for a little while, someone checks in with you a little bit because i believe in safety nets and if you're in a moment of crisis now set those before you're in a moment of crisis let's set up as many safety nets for yourself as possible and um i'm famous for my homeless plan if shit hit, if shit hits the fan and i'm homeless and everything goes to hell in a handbasket i have a homeless plan but i also have a safety net plan for my mental wellness too
0: i love that i think that's so
1: important yeah, because, and if a technique's no longer working for you, don't feel guilty about chucking it out the window. Yes. Because
0: let it yeah. go and try something new.
1: Have you um, given up a, a technique that you use to help yourself at one point and, or has it evolved?
0: I mean, a lot of my uh, like maladaptive behaviors and coping mechanisms, yeah, I've, I've gotten rid of and tried to implement, you know, healthier things and- you know, I definitely tried a lot of the exercise before and it wasn't working. But then once I found boxing and dance, then I finally was motivated. And so for me, I realized I really need kind of higher intensity, fun exercise or else I'm just not into it. And so, you know, it took a while. I was like, I don't really like yoga. I don't like just all of these exercises, but boxing and dance really got me moving.
1: You know, that's awesome. I actually don't laugh. I'm so glad there are no cameras in my home, but um, I will crank up the music and I will have a small dance party break in between yes. like, emails and things that I'm doing. And so I'll play like crazy disco music and club music and punk rock, everything. Show love that. And I, I probably look like this mad woman shaking my hands in the air, but uh, definitely the dance party really helps lift my spirit. I'm down with the living room dance party. Oh, maybe we should try a virtual dance party. Yeah, dance parties are great and music can be
0: so healing to your mental health. And I so appreciate you sharing all of your story and your journey and all of the tips that you're using now to keep your mental and financial health together. You know, before we end the show, where can people find you if they want to work with you, check you out, follow you?
1: Yes. So I'm on Instagram as ma.jennifer. I'm on Facebook as Jennifer Ma. I have a Facebook page for your money, your life financial coaching. I have a website. I will actually send these all to Melanie because they're so long to remember names and titles. So please check out her show notes and other look at me trying to plug your show. <laughs> I
0: love it. Can you do my advertising? Yeah. Please? <laughs> oh,
1: absolutely. How can I help you? Because I think what you're doing in bringing this issues to light and how intertwined they are is amazing. So thank you for the platform. Thanks for doing everything you're doing. And I cannot wait for Lola Retreat.
0: I know. I can't wait for it to come back eventually. And yeah, see what we're going to do.
1: And perhaps maybe this time I'll get to go. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I did try to go, guys. I just want you listeners, Lola Retreat looked awesome. And I didn't get to go last time. So this time I have to carve out space. Yes. But um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to seeing what else you create. Thank
0: you. I really appreciate your support. And thank you for being so brave and vulnerable for
1: being on this show. And, you know, I appreciate you. Appreciate you too. And thanks for letting me sort of barf out and vomit out everything that's in my head and heart right now.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review. If you want to suggest a topic or simply say hello, you can reach me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can check out the rest of our content at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.